Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Episode 77. Coaching, what makes a good coach? It's kind of this blend between leadership, coaching, and emotional intelligence that, that has at the center of it just transformation of an athlete. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, our guest is Dr. Adam Ross, Chair of the Kinesiology Department and Strength and Conditioning Coach for Baseball at Dallas Baptist University. Adam, you are also the Chair of our NSCA Baseball Special Interest Group. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks, Eric, for having me. Uh, should be a, should be a great time discussing a lot of pertinent things and, and some current events too. Awesome, yeah. So um, we have a phrase around the NSCA headquarters: "The great ones adjust" as it relates to the dynamic roles of strength coaches in the field. Um, but with the current state of things around COVID nineteen, we've all had to adjust our lifestyle quite a bit. Um, for our listeners, this is the first podcast episode recorded on video, uh, but I will say like many of you, we have had a lot of practice lately on video meetings, webinars. Um, Adam, for you, how's it been finishing up the uh, semester remotely? Yeah, at an at a institution of, of higher education, I think there's um, a big dependency on, on good leadership, you know, in times like this. And I think that really came through to us in, in the weeks leading up to, to what eventually, you know, where we got sent home into remote work, uh, where, you know, our president kind of had us ready for this and, and had a task force ready, uh, kind of building the faculty's ability to, to deploy some online learning and uh, to, you know, to go through all the steps necessary in order to continue what we needed to do to put out the product we needed to. So, um, you know, good leadership kind of put us in the position to not be too phased by it, but it is different. You know, and, and like you said, uh, you know, in the field of strength conditioning and athletic performance, uh, you know, we're, we're tested a lot on, on our adaptability and our fluidity to respond to the different circumstances. But this has been, you know, not too hard for me. I think I'm, you know, being a faculty member that's probably a little on the younger side, I, I have a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe a better ability to utilize technology, you know, than some of the, the ones that, that aren't. You know, I was good at it, but, um, you know, I think it's gone pretty much off without a hitch, you know, just trying to keep in contact with the students and, and give them good, good, good content. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a really challenging time, um, for everybody. Uh, but you know, I've been really encouraged by the call to call to action in our field, um, in the strength and conditioning community. I mean, there's been so many webinars, home workouts, virtual events, fundraising efforts, related to COVID-19. And, you know, I think there still are a lot of unknowns, you know, as to the long-term effects with our, um, on our athletes, families, athletic programs, but I'm really proud to see the way the coaches um, in our community have stepped up, you know, at a time when we're being tested. And, and I think that really says a lot about who we are, you know, in this field and, and what we care about. Um, So to jump right in with you, man, um, you know, off the air, um, we were talking and you mentioned that you have a dual role as a professor and a coach. Um, how has your role at DBU been different than the typical academic or coaching role? Yeah, uh, it is, it is a really unique role and, and one that I've kind of even kind of morphed into uh, technically now I'm a full-time faculty member, but, 
2016, when I started my doctorate uh, and started kind of pursuing more of the faculty side of things in, in academics, uh, I still had the urge to stay in athletic performance and, and requested that, you know, if I were to shift over to full-time faculty, that I still kept my responsibility with the baseball team as that was, you know, the second half of my passion. Um, you know, as, as you were mentioning, you know, strength coaches stepping up in this time, I, I think it kind of speaks to the nature of the profession in general in that, you know, it's kind of a, a profession marked by service. So like shifting from the weight room to the classroom was, was just kind of the same role in two different, in two different environments. You know, I, I saw myself still as a coach in the classroom too. It's just kind of a different context, but um, you know, since 2016, I've, I've been more into the classroom uh, as kind of my, my role continues to change uh, more towards the academic side. And, and because of that, I've been able to you know, get some good guys that have worked with me in the baseball team and taking some of that responsibility kind of in the day-to-day application of things. And, and I'm just kind of serving more as a sounding board and, and kind of a almost more of a consultant at this point uh, you know, where I'm spending a lot of my time now just in the kind of the development of the student uh, and those that want to pursue strength conditioning as a career, those that are working towards physical therapy eventually, occupational therapy, athletic training. You know, those are the ones that are kind of coming through uh, the major where I'm serving right now. That's great. Um, you know, it sounds like this multi-role gives you a unique leadership opportunity, you know, and you extend that to working as the chair of our baseball special interest group with the, uh, with the NSCA, you know, this, this SIG groups have been on the podcast the last few episodes. Um, Antonio Squalante, the chair of the weightlifting SIG was on a couple episodes back with Scott Caulfield. Um, talk about the SIG or special interest group for for listeners that aren't aware of that, um, that term and the opportunities it presents for, for growth in our field. Yeah, I think, I think being a part of something, um, you know, it, it means a lot, it means a lot more, uh, I think as you, uh, you know, develop that network. And this is one of those ways to, you know, develop your network without having to travel across the world, you know, to meet all these different coaches and to be exposed to all these different things. So, you know, having that, that SIG group where you can, you know, simply with a, you know, a copy paste and a click, uh, kind of shoot information across, you know, across the platform to different coaches and, and, and connect with people that you wouldn't normally do that with and, uh, you know, have some good professional conversations surrounding it. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to continue your development. And that's kind of what we're tasked with is not to, not to stay stale, you know, and don't be a, I was, I was kind of told this one time that you want to be a babbling brook, not a, you know, not a stagnant pool. Um, so I think that's kind of one, you know, one way to, to do that is to just stay engaged and specifically in baseball, uh, it's something that it continues to take off, you know, a bunch of private facilities that, that are doing a bunch of cool things and uh, that don't necessarily have, you know, the same, the same platform as a lot of those people that are in, know, collegiate athletics and and professional uh, baseball to, you know, to, to shoot out their idea. And I think this is a really unique way for us all to get together in the same place and do that. Yeah. So one of my highlights at the uh, 2020 coaches conference in San Antonio was the baseball round table. Um, You did a really great job pulling that together and, and kind of framing the questions and the topics in a way that created a lot of discussion. And I'd say there was probably 30, 40 coaches in the room ranging from 
MLB coaches with 20, 30 years of experience all the way down to uh, young coaches just getting in the field. And I, ju I just thought that was a really cool um, way to kind of bring great conversation to a specific topic um, and an area of interest. And that's really what the SIG groups are all about. Um, we actually have 21 different special interest groups with the NSCA. So if you're interested in a specific area of the field, um, to our listeners, you know, that is a uh, untapped resource by, by many. And I think, you, you know, it's something that um, if you have interest about that, please reach out um, to our staff and we will get you uh, plugged in. Um, Adam, what led you towards baseball? Uh, I know you've worked with a number of sports at this point, but um, baseball seems kind of to be the theme for you. Yeah, I actually, uh, I was a collegiate baseball player. I, I played baseball at the University of Southern Maine. Uh, originally from the Northeast and you know, not a lot of guys go from the Northeast unless you are a superstar, you know, uh, yeah. down to these big baseball programs in the South. Um, so I played uh, division three college baseball and was a high school athlete that didn't have much of anything but love baseball and, and had some ability to pitch, you know, just wasn't a, a superstar um, and kind of led me down that path once I got to college to pursue how to get better. You know, I didn't have a strength coach in high school. I didn't have a strength coach in college. Uh, so I just taught myself. Um, and by the time I was a junior in my third year at Southern Maine, I was actually running strength conditioning for my team. Uh, so it's kind of how I got into it and just saw my change uh, in, in myself and my performance. And ultimately I, I knew that in order to, to wake up and, and, go to work every day kind of with a smile on my face. I just wanted to do something that, that I knew I was a pa I was passionate about. So kind of merging those passions together in baseball and, and strength conditioning is something that I just wanted to pursue as long as I could. Nice. So you, you played college baseball and that fueled your interest getting into the field. Kind of take us back through the, through your progression to, to where you're at now at DBU. Yeah, I, I think it, for a lot of us, it all starts with mentors um, and, you know, these people in our life that have an impact uh, to solidify us in, in what we think we can do, uh, you know, to tell us that we can do more than we think we can, you know, to kind mm -hmm. of just be that encouragement in a time when, when we're still questioning things. And uh, in my undergrad experience, I just had one professor who was, he was an, our athletic trainer. Um, and I, I was pursuing my degree in my bachelor's degree in sports medicine and um, he was just someone that was super encouraging. He had worked in professional baseball at one point and he you know, kind of helped in my development uh, physically, you know, to the point where I spent so much time in the training room my first couple of years that he kind of led me out of it, you know, to the point where I, I was had some success uh, because of physical development. So having that person to speak into my life early in my career, uh, Vic Liberia is his name. He's at Adrian College now in Michigan. Um, but you know, having a person like that kind of started me down that path. And then, you know, achieving some success kind of solidified what I knew it could do for me and then started pursuing it even more. Once I, I left college, did an undergrad internship experience with Mike Boyle um, at the time I was in Winchester, Massachusetts, and uh, spent some time with him and was, was lucky enough to get a graduate teaching assistantship with, uh, at Baylor University. Um, kind of just six months after I'd had that internship with, which with coach Boyle. So it just, I mean, I'd say, I'd say it had something to do with me, but it didn't, you know, it, it was just, I think kind of God put me in the right time and place and uh, the right people in my life 
uh, to support me in what I was trying to do. Um, and it just kept the ball kept rolling, you know, once I, once I got to that next spot. Yeah. That, so, you know, I, I think it's really great on the podcast when, uh, you know, and you get to get a chance to tell your story and it brings you back to a mentor or someone that had a huge impact on you. And now you're in a situation or a, a place where you are essentially passing on a program as your role is transitioning at DBU. And, and so, you know, now you're in that mentorship role and people can kind of look at you that way. Um, what are your thoughts on, on leadership of a staff and, what's important and, and, and how to really instill the values, um, that, that, um, that you've learned throughout your career. Yeah, I think I started, I started thinking about this the most when I was going through my dissertation and I was studying, uh, you know, leadership and leadership's impact on, on people that you're you know, in, a, in a position over. Um, and I was starting to do my research leadership and it's, uh, Kind of its effects on self-determination in athletes. But I think of it now in terms of some, kind of just leadership and the self-determination of anyone that you are kind of in a, in a leadership role over. So in that, you know, I think about how you create a self-determined athlete is you have to create a, kind of an intrinsic drive within that person to want to do it, you know. And a lot of people think that they want to pursue you know, being a strength conditioning coach in, in all these settings, collegiate athletics, professional sport, until you get there. And then you know that, you know, things can change every day, but in order to create a desire within that person, I think you just have to give them a little bit of the opportunity to just be themselves and to figure things out a little bit on their own um, while being kind of a supporting structure around them. So giving them that autonomy to do it, uh, and not just being a suffocating, you know, kind of autocrat. And, and someone that just kind of strangles the passion out of them. So, you know, in two people that I, I had that had worked with me really the last three or four years at Dallas Baptist, uh, Dennis Wilson, who's now at Florida Atlantic, and uh, Alex Spencer, who's kind of taken over for me at, at DBU in the past semester or two. Um, both of them came in with a, a great desire, you know, to be a great coach. And it didn't necessarily at that time look like being a great coach for a baseball team. It just meant being a great coach. And, uh, you know, their, their desire to be a part of something that was, you know, a successful program at the time. DBU baseball is a really successful program. And, um, you know, they, they showed me the desire. Uh, they had the, the smarts to do it. Alex uh, Spencer and I come from one of the same mentors, Charlie Melton at Baylor. So we had a really similar training background uh, and kind of the same mentorship experience. So programming, we're really similar, and our personalities are really similar. So it's just been a really uh, easy thing to, to kind of give them the reins. Uh, and with Dennis Wilson, that, that was with us as a, as a GA for a while, the same was true with him. You know, it's, it's finding people that you're able to quickly let them go without a lot of oversight. You know, um, I think it's really uh, unique to be able to do that. I think you, you really got to search uh, – you know, for the right person, but I've been blessed to have a couple here that have really made my job easy, you know, as a strength conditioning coach and really impacted our athletes in a big way. Yeah. So, so you started your career as an intern with Mike Boyle and that was around the time uh, of functional training for sport when that was introduced to the field. And I know that had a huge impact on, on a lot of strength coaches. Um, you've since worked with baseball players, golfers at FSU, 
and you mentioned basketball. I believe you worked with volleyball as well at, at, uh, at Baylor. And um, talk about how you've experienced the evolution of training through your career, um, especially related to uh, what you could call these like long lever or rotational focus sports, which are, are a hot topic right now. Yeah, I, I think, again, the, the people I've, I've worked under, it's kind of that saying, you are kind of the product of the five people you spend the most time with. I'd say the same thing is kind of with those coaching, you know, the, kind of the coaching tree you come from too, and that you, you know, you take these bits and pieces of, of what you learn from them. And that's kind of who you are. And, and that's kind of what developed me a little bit to be, be who I am as a coach and understanding, starting with Mike Boyle, it's one of those things where he's always kind of been a guy that, that challenges, you know, challenges the norms, challenges the, you know, the, the almost the purest thinking and, and just says, explain it to me, you know, why do you believe that? And, you know, as, as someone that, that did that to me as a, as an intern, and it was a really impactful time for me when, you know, at, at that point it, to me, it's just all about strength. Right. And I think that's kind of my view on, on athletic performance now that's changed so much as you used to think things are all about strength, but then, uh, you know, when you think about it as an athletic performance coach and the, the terminology has kind of shifted, right? Like you, you think about how do I build a better athlete? Not just how do I build a, a stronger athlete, right? Um, so many things, you know, I think are, are coming back to what I first learned with, with coach Boyle. Um, and, and that the, the movement capacities of athletes uh, kind of predict the performance a lot more than the strength, you know, and I'd say the resiliency and the, the, ability to resist injury is, is along those lines too. Now, I mean, the strength part plays a huge role uh, and, and there's a discussion there to be had, but, you know, I think working with baseball and volleyball and, you know, angular, like you said, angular rotation, you know, dependent type sports, golf. Uh, I lean a lot on what I learned with, with coach Boyle and then things that I did in, in getting TPI certified, you know, the, the my TPI certifications and things like that to, you know, to kind of learn the, not the differences, but the similarities, you know, between, between athletes. And I think there's a lot more similar than there are things different. And mm -hmm. it's just the load is how you apply load is different. You know, I think that's the biggest part uh, that I've kind of taken away is just the load management, specifically with baseball. Uh, I think that's a lot of where a lot of the research, you know, points to and, uh, you know, with volleyball, the same thing. It's it's jumping and, and arm swinging repeatedly over and over again. So um, I think the you know the similarities, like I said, are are a lot more than the differences. That I like that you said that, and that's something I've always really felt is uh, you know working in you know early in my career, transitioning out of college, going to professional baseball. Um, you know, it was always about, well, in professional baseball, it's like this. And in the college setting, it's like this. And, and when I got there, I didn't feel like that. I felt mm -hmm. like these are high level athletes, the best of the best. Um, but you know, at the, when you boil it down, you're, you're working with athletes, you're communicating, you're, you're getting to know them. Um, you, you know, you're, you're trying to have an impact in the way that benefits them. Um, the, the best way possible. And so the best practices aren't always the ideal practices, which is, uh, which is another, I mean, you can talk a lot about that in a lot of different areas. Um, but you know, when you have a new team 
or a new, uh, a new group of students, what's your, you know, what's your process in, in getting the ball rolling and kind of building that trust and um, getting the process started? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it, you know, in the classroom, it looks a lot, uh, well, I'd say, I'd say different only because they're a different kind of person. You know, athletes, I think, are uh, a little bit easier to, to almost relate to when you're their coach because you're coming kind of from a similar background with, you know, the same kind of end goal for every season is you know, playing for playing for your championships and, and seeking high performance in the weight room. But it's, it's similar in the classroom. It's just, you know, you have to create uh, the intentionality, I think, with every student to, to let them know that it's, it's not really about you um, and that, that it doesn't matter if, you know, this, this person comes in as a, I speak in football terms, but let's do it for the sake of it, you know, comes in as a one star instead of a four star, you know, that you're going to treat them exactly the same um, in the classroom. If they're coming in as, you know, someone that has a terrible GPA versus the best student in the class, uh, really it's the one that has the terrible GPA that's going to need the most work. So um, either way, the relationship has to be built. The trust has to be built. Uh, and in the classroom, it's, I think it just takes a lot of, a lot of one-on-one -on -one time, um, as much as you can, you know, we have small class sizes at DD. I think our average class size is about 12. Um, so it makes it, makes it a lot easier to do the same kind of things uh, as you would working with a team. But, you know, I'd, I'd say in, in a lot of sports, a lot of athletic performance cases now, you have strength coaches that, that pursue seeking, you know, a lot of time with their team. You know, they're down at practice every day or whenever they have the chance. It's not they're just stationed in the weight room. So I think just the intentionality there and, and getting outside of, for myself, getting outside of my office and spending time with the students outside of my, you know, the classroom. Uh, and it's the same as kind of getting outside the weight room and spending time with your athletes, you know, in a different context as well. So talk about your decision to pursue a doctoral degree and become a professor, kind of making that transition from practitioner to educator. Was that always your goal or did that evolve through your time as a strength coach? Yeah, I, I'd say it definitely evolved. Um, at 25, maybe 26 was when I first had my first full-time job at Florida State. And at that time, the last thing I was thinking about was having a job other than my first one. You know, I was kind of all into what I was doing there, I felt like at the time it was my, my dream job. You know, I was at a perennial college world series contender, um, and working with great athletes and working with future guys on the PGA tour and future ladies on the LPGA tour and, and guys that would go to the, to the major leagues. I thought that was like my spot, but, um, you know, over time you, as you, as you age, you kind of consider the context, you know, on how that was all happening and the toll that it was taking. And when you have your first kid, you understand how much you're not home, you know, I think, and that kind of led me down the path of, of you know, if, if I were to ever get out of strength conditioning, uh, what would it look like? And I felt like my next step was to pursue a, a terminal degree and to, you know, to go into higher education and, and being a faculty member. Now I didn't know if I, at first I, I thought it was in sports psychology. I was going to pursue, uh, PhD in sports psychology and try to do that at Florida State while I was there. Um, but ultimately, you know, that door was closed and um, I wasn't even pursuing Dallas Baptist. Uh, it just kind of 
popped up and, and, it, and it happened. And by the time I got here, it was within the first semester that I was approached about pursuing my doctorate at DBU. So it was kind of one of those things that, uh, you know, I just kind of kept the door swinging a little bit. And, and if I were to go, I was, I was going to be pushed there by, you know, by continued reminder and, and kind of saying that I can't really tell you now anymore, you know? Yeah. Uh, so um, I didn't, I didn't know. Uh, I just think that I left the opportunities open and just kind of let things happen. Yeah. So you mentioned you had two kids. Yeah. Yeah. I have a uh, seven-year-old boy and a, and a four-year-old boy. Nice. So talk about becoming a parent in the strength and conditioning field from transitioning of going the professor route and also working as a strength coach. Uh, what is that balancing act of schedule and time away from family for you? Yeah, I, I think, you know, before you even think about kids, you have to know you married the right person, you know, to, to, to see if they're going to gonna be in on it, you know. So you know, starting with a, a really understanding wife helps. Um, but then, you know, once you start to have kids, I, I think the intentionality needs to be, you know, really, really amped up um, to the point where, you know, some of the pictures that sit on my desk are, are the ones where, you know, my, my son at Florida state is visiting me at work, you know, like where he's, you know, hanging down in the bullpen with me, um, or coming, coming and visiting me pregame before, you know, before we get rolling. Cause you know, during baseball season, you're there until 10 o'clock, 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. Um, so, you know, just those times that, that they are able to come and, and hang out, um, you gotta, you gotta make the time to separate, you know, even, even when you are at work, you know, there are 30 minute windows, there are one hour windows when, when you have some time. So, you know, building in the lunch dates, building in the, you know, the, the afternoon in the weight room where you know, my sons would come and hang out during a training session and they would just, you know, kind of sit over in the corner bouncing on a, on a physio ball, you know, just kind of being kids. Um, and you just have to, I think the athletes understand too, you know, they, they like to, to see that, that you're a human, right. That you're not just a robot that, that uh, pretends things are great all the time. You know, you want to see your kids. And uh, I think there's, there's a, there's an understanding now, I think with a lot of head coaches too, that, that I'm around that they, they make, they make the note that like, you need to have your, have your family time uh, and keep your, keep your family around as much as possible. So yeah, it's just, I think it's just intentionality and just kind of spiking that up when you can. I definitely connect with that. I know it's really special thinking back through my baseball career. My son Colin is seven years old, so he's the oldest and has got to experience most of it compared to the girls. So a lot of really special memories, just having family and, and kids at the ballpark or around you at work. It's, it's a unique benefit to this field. Our kids get to see us in a really cool profession and in a unique leadership type role. I think about when our kids go to college one day, part of their decision-making and the way they're going to think about the world will come from some of these early thoughts and experiences just by showing up with us and seeing what student-athletes are doing. That's really inspiring to me as a parent, not just a strength coach. And like you said, intentionality on both fronts, because we need to be consistent. And there is or, or should be alignment between who you are as a coach and who you are as a parent. Uh, so what you said does really connect with coaches in the field because it relates to life beyond the weight room. Um, there is a focus on soft skills right now and strength and conditioning, if, if that's what you want to call it, or 
the importance of communication and relationships. And I think that work-life balance and family dynamic tie in really well with that. Uh, from your perspective, talk about non-weight room skills. What other qualities are important for strength coaches that you're working with? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's buzzwords, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the soft skills side of things is a lot of buzzwords and a lot of kind of misunderstanding of, of buzzwords. And you always hear people talk about a culture, creating a culture, you know, what does that mean? You always hear people talking about leadership. Okay. What makes a good, good leader? You always hear people talking about coaching and what makes a good coach It's kind of this, you know, this Venn diagram of, of all of these different, you know, things that make up what uh, can really move people to action. And I think one of those things and is, is continuing to be researched is emotional intelligence a little bit, like knowing what to say and, and when to say it kind of thing and, and understanding, you know, the, the cultural context of, of what you're saying, the situation you're currently in. And, and um, you know, I think that's a, a big part. And I think there's, a blend between you know, leadership, coaching, and emotional intelligence that that has at the center of it just transformation of an athlete. You know, you you show them your your leadership skills not by what you say, but by what you do, right? And how you engage with them, and uh, how you how you develop them, and inter, intertwined with that is the coaching aspect to where. Uh, you're bringing about awareness in them what they need to do, you know, to, to be a better human, to be a better athlete. And then, you know, from an emotion, emotional intelligence perspective, you know, I, I think just being able to draw upon those things from coaching and leadership, you know, the awareness and uh, engagement aspect to, to, to kind of meet them where they are and, and know that, you know, it, it is not always, something that has to be said, but sometimes it's something that has to be done, you know, show them an act of service, you know, show them, uh, you know, that you, you don't need to, to, to berate, to, to make yourself known as right all the time, you know, to, to give them the opportunity to fail without, you know, this, this crazy amount of oversight. So I think the emotional aspect, the emotional intelligence aspect is, is a big one um, in that kind of art of coaching and, and soft skills. Uh, and I think from from the teaching perspective too, I see a lot where the the, the cultural intelligence side of things um, and, and knowing people come from different places, right? And and as as much as we overlook that a lot of times, that can make the biggest difference uh, in just understanding why people do what they do. Um, and it's just culturally culturally, some of them it's it's not how they grew up. You know, it's not their fault. Uh, it's, I think it was said by Frank Wright, um, basketball coach, uh, collegiate basketball coach that, you know, a lot of times we blame these things on kids uh, or athletes or, you know, the people that we're, we're talking about in, in college aspect or high school, even we blame a lot on the kids, but really, uh, where are we talking about the parents? Like it's, it's truly, you know, a lot of the, the responsibility of how kids are is, is on the parents. So I think the understanding with the athlete has to be, you know, I know you are who you are because of who you spend time with and those around you. But, you know, I think the, the emotional intelligence, cultural intelligence idea around that is that you can still help them, you know, and you're not going to beat them down for it. 
So take that to the mentoring of young strength coaches. And now we have to go beyond that foundational knowledge of just teaching the scientific concepts, but including the behavioral, philosophical, or the art of coaching skill set. Is that something that can be taught or are those intangibles that we need coaching and life experience to build on? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's kind of all of the above a little bit. Like um, you're, I think that's why your your best or not necessarily your best, but I think strength coaches often come from people that were in athletics, right? They're, they're comfortable in the context. They're comfortable being around uh, large groups of people and kind of speaking their mind, you know, so they're, they're comfortable in that context. And that kind of leads to the initial initial submission that um, you got to be able to communicate first. And I think that's where we're lacking a lot of in, in the classroom. And what I'm seeing is that you have students coming through that, that want to be strength conditioning coaches that might not have been an athlete um, or that might not have been a collegiate athlete and still want to be in it. Uh, but they're not, giving themselves the opportunity to go and practice communication skills and uh, to talk to people because they're spending all their time on social media and communicating with people via devices. Um, So I I, I think what kind of helped develop me as a coach and being more comfortable communicating is, you know, that, that pursuit of experiences outside of what I was doing at the time. So starting, you know, at, at Mike Boyle, he challenged us. We worked Monday through Thursday and just challenged us to spend our Friday, Saturday, and Sunday visiting places around, you know, the greater Boston area uh, to go and meet people and talk to them and ask them questions and learn. And and that's how I spent my weekends. It wasn't at the beach, you know, Um, it was, I went down and visited uh, Eric Cressy one weekend. I went over and visited Harvard and BC and and BU, um, all of these, you know, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays during my time there. And I think that's, a bit of what helps develop, you know, that aspect of, of coaching that matters so much is communication and the soft skills is just first being able to communicate with anybody, you know, being able to ask the right questions, being able to listen, just being a, a good listener um, and not just, you know, listening, but really hearing mm-hmm. uh, and, and absorbing what's being told to you. So often I think it's a failure of mine too is, um, I'm trying to prepare what I'm going to say next instead of really listening uh, to, to what someone's saying uh, and hearing them. So uh, I think it's just, it's, it's giving yourself the opportunity to go out and get those experiences and uh, just get on the horn and yeah. people will let you, you know, I think our, our profession is really good like that where if, if someone shows some initiative, uh, then they'll, they'll let you come through. Uh, watch and then ask some good questions afterwards if they have the time. Yeah, I agree with you. I think back to grad school and one of the courses was psychology of the college-aged adult. And it was outside of the department. Not a lot of other strength and conditioning students were taking that course, but it's amazing that what I learned still resonates with me. Uh, In the academic setting, it's very theoretical, but when you can take that basic outline with you into the applied coaching world, it's really experiences like that that give you insight and context to your coaching experiences. Now looking at ways uh, we learn what books and resources have helped you along the way uh, that you recommend to our listeners. Oh man, there's a ton of good books um, out there. I'd, I'd say one that has really 
uh, help in terms of career. This isn't really, this is outside of, of strength conditioning, but uh, it's a book called Every Good Endeavor and it's, uh, it's by Timothy Keller and it's a book that's it's, uh, based on kind of pursuing uh, vocation as opposed to job and what it looks like to actually be doing what you're called to do. Uh, and it is a, you know, it is a, a written by a Christian author and, uh, you know, it's, it's one that I use as actually a, a book in, in my internship class that I teach at DBU uh, to kind of introduce the concepts of, of what it looks like to, to actually feel called to do something. And I think that's super important as a strength conditioning coach. Uh, and, you know, and what I do to it in a, being a faculty member is you have to feel called to do it to kind of have a sustainable career in it, you know, or else every day is going to just feel like a smack in the face getting up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning uh, and stay until late at night. So, you know, just the understanding for them uh, as they go into practical experience and experiential learning, uh, kind of what it would look like if this was your calling. So that's a, that's a a good one. I, I think there's a lot more kind of in the practical strength conditioning setting too, that, I spend obviously a lot of time in textbooks, uh, you know, in teaching, but, uh, you know, some good ones outside of that. I, I always like reading, uh, uh, Dan John books. I mean, he's just a real person and, um, you know, someone I enjoy kind of like reading that has some good, some good structural content too and some good stuff. So, uh, but that's really one that kind of is, is kind of, always on my desk is that every good endeavor book. Yeah. So, so we've talked about your career path and the different sports you've worked with coaching skills, how it's influenced your thought process as a parent and as a coach. Now looking ahead 10 to 20 years, what does the future of this field look like for you? What are we all striving for right now in your opinion? Oh boy. Um, I mean, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I think this is, this, this shift has already kind of started. Like there are, are super impressive, super strong athletes out there that just aren't the highest performers, right? So it's kind of understanding the, the performance dynamics of other things that actually create performance. Um, and, you know, the, the identification of us always as strength coaches, I think is a, is a real misnomer. I think it's just going to continue to develop into a, a much more validated profession that truly increases you know, athletic performance. And I think that's the NSA NSTA is doing, you know, some good things and going in and working towards having some educational programs that are accredited and that can you know, create an education towards doing that, creating kind of a really robust performance, uh, you know, development curriculum, you know, to, to go in before you get certified. But I think, I think it's, it's ultimately evolving more towards, you know, the things outside of strength for performance um, and some of those things that are lower hanging fruit uh, for performance. And I teach a psychology sport class here at DBU too. And I think that's one that you're going to see continue to take off is you know, the psychology of sport uh, side of things. Because again, that one's, that one's primarily free. You know, you can do, you can do a lot of that if you have uh, you know, some extra time on your hands and the right people to guide you through it. Some, some pretty good performance gain from that. So I think that'll be another big one too, is the psychology side. Yeah, so for anyone interested in joining the Baseball Strength and Conditioning Special Interest Group or connecting with Adam, what's the best way for our listeners to get in contact? 
Yeah, so the, the baseball special interest group is right now just on Facebook. Uh, so kind of exploring some other ways where we might be able to, to you know, expand that. But right now it's just on Facebook. So you can go in and uh, you know, type in NSCA uh, baseball state, I believe, just into the search bar. And it's a closed group right now. So all you have to do is just kind of request approval to come into the group. And um, I'll be one that, that, that approves those. And uh, you can join in on the group and start uh, helping provide content to, to everyone in the group. It's grown quite a bit, uh, I think, over the last year or so. Um, so hopefully we can continue to do that. And then uh, I, I am not real uh, active on social media. I mean, I have Instagram and Twitter and all that. And I think it's uh, at Woody Ross 33. So I was given the nickname when I went to, to Florida State, Woody, because uh, Mike Martin, who was a coach at the time, uh, at Florida State said I looked like Woody Harrelson uh, so he called me Woody uh, and I just started using that so it's uh, Woody Ross 33 I think that was the, the handle on those um, and my email is adamr at dbu.edu and I am real hot on the email responses uh, so I, I get those out pretty quick um, so yeah, those are the primary ways Good. Well, Adam, thank you so much for being on the podcast, being kind of the first go on this video version of it with us. And also a big thanks to our sponsor, Sornex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. Thanks. And as you know, we at the NSCA love research, especially applying that research. If you're not a member yet, join us and get access to the best strength and conditioning journals available. Just go to nsca.com slash membership. And to all of you listening, we appreciate your support. Again, if you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe wherever you download your podcast from, write us a review, and keep listening in. Thank you, and I look forward to talking with you all soon. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.